Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. In this episode, I'm speaking with Gina Kim. Gina describes herself as an interdisciplinary artist. I would also describe her as a multidisciplinary artist, from food photography to filmmaking to everything in between. Gina follows her curiosity and jumps in feet first. Gina Kim was born in Masan, South Korea, and immigrated to the United States as a toddler. She is an award-winning interdisciplinary artist who became a filmmaker during quarantine. You'll hear us talk about that in this episode. Originally trained in classical music, Gina began her professional career in arts administration, working at the Public Theater and then the Museum of Modern Art. After completing her MBA at the University of Virginia, Gina moved to Charlotte, North Carolina to work at a major bank. Gina is a prolific actor, writer, filmmaker, and interdisciplinary artist. She was recognized in Charlotte Business Journal's 40 Under 40 listing in 2019. You'll hear us discuss Gina's first short documentary, Chinese Girl Wants Vote, and her works in progress. We discuss storytelling choices, intention and impact, continuous improvement, and embracing that do-it-yourself energy, persevering despite rejection, and more. Before we jump in, I wanted to read a short paragraph about Chinese Girl Wants Vote and play you a clip. Chinese Girl Wants Vote is a documentary-style short film created about lesser-known suffragist Dr. Mabel Pinghua Lee. The project was produced during quarantine in response to growing anti-Asian sentiment during COVID-19 and in celebration of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. The year 2020 also marked the 100th anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment for American women's constitutional right to vote. I'm going to play a short clip from Chinese Girl Wants Vote to transition into my conversation with Gina. You'll hear an additional clip, including Dr. Lee's words read aloud at the very end of this episode. Please see the links in the show notes for more information. Enjoy. Who was the face behind Chinese Girl Wants Vote? From the National Park Service, Dr. Mabel Pinghua Lee was born in China and lived from 1896 to 1966. After immigrating to the United States, when she was just 16 years old, Mabel Lee was a known figure in New York suffrage movement. When New York City suffragists held a parade in 1912 to advocate for women's voting rights, Mabel Lee on horseback helped lead the parade from its start. In 1920, the 19th Amendment gave women throughout the U.S. the right to vote. But Chinese women like Mabel Lee could not vote until 1943. This was because of the Chinese Exclusion Act, a federal law that was in place before she was born. The Chinese Exclusion Act limited Chinese immigration and prevented them from becoming citizens. Hi, Gina. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here, Tamara. So let's jump right in and talk about your first short documentary. The title is Chinese Girl Wants Vote. Could you talk a little bit about what inspired you to make that piece? Sure. 
this is a little bit of an unusual route, both in how it came to be and how the process flowed. Um, Specifically, this actually wasn't my original idea. There was a local theater in North Carolina that had posted just on Facebook looking for an Asian American writer and actress to provide the Asian American perspective on the women's suffrage movement given last year, 2020, was the centennial of the 19th Amendment, the right for American women to vote. And so that's really the origin of how I got started. And they had selected to profile Mabel Lee. So they had done a little bit of research. When I say a little bit, a quick Google, Wikipedia on who she is, never heard of her. I grew up in the States, went to American schools. If you had asked me, like literally, I had never heard of this person. It never occurred to me to Google Asian American suffragist either. And so that's where it all started. And this all happened during quarantine. So how did that change your approach and how did you adapt? So the original call was in 2019 before the pandemic. And the goal was to celebrate again, uh, in in the year of 2020. So there was a lot of planning and it was supposed to be part of a larger piece or a montage. So this piece specifically, it's actually more of an original adaptation with narration found from writings in the, in the public realm. And this is important because things that were copyrighted before 1924 is still in the public. And I say this because, you know, in my mind, I'm just thinking like Jane Austen adaptations, like mm-hmm. you can still do those or book adaptations. So this piece is really an adaptation of her original writings, as well as different materials I found in the public realm. Like the narration is very strongly aligned to the National Park Service. So I'm just being very open there. In terms of how it came to develop during quarantine, I am going to go a little bit out of order. So before that, there were plans and doing a lot of rehearsals and having just this perspective being part of a much broader perspective showcasing diverse women suffragists, Black perspective. American women's perspective, a Native American perspective, etc. Um, and what had happened was because I just didn't have the capacity, since I do work full time at a corporate job, mm-hmm. to rehearse every weekend, they had replaced me with my understudy. And so my piece was just kind of, I don't know how to say this, but like cut out of the larger piece. And it just sat on the shelf, honestly. And during quarantine, you know, I stewed on it, but I had the opportunity. I had my component reviewed anonymously by hmm. a playwright. And I had her review two things. She said, this thing is not ready to go, but this Chinese girl wants to vote is ready to go. You should try to produce it. And that's when I said, what the heck? I have literally nothing to lose. We're all at home every single day, <laughs> you know, especially in early spring. Um, and I just thought, let me see what I can do and let me see who would want to collaborate with me. And so that's how the process started. So in addition to the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, 2020 brought us the pandemic and and it swept across and still is um, rolling around in the United States. As a result of that and the Trump administration, there was a huge uptick in xenophobic and racist rhetoric related to COVID. And so I'm wondering how both of both of those things, the 100th anniversary and the COVID epidemic kind of converged in how that 
impacted the way you approached this piece? To answer the first part, I had not seen a lot of very literally Asian faces as part of the suffrage movement. I was unaware. And when you Google it, plus like Asia, there's so many different kinds of countries, different languages, and different timelines, depending on which specific country you're from around that time. To me, that was just simply an absence. It didn't matter to me that Mabel Lee was Chinese. It was having an Asian face and an Asian Mm -hmm. story. It actually gave me a firm timeline. I wanted a cut that was presentable to be finished within Asian American Pacific Islander uh, Heritage Month, which is in the month of May. And that one, it's like, and I struggle with what it's called because, again, I was brought up in America with American schooling. And I don't recall really celebrating that particular month. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I do recall is I had scheduled a Zoom showing for the collaborators on May 31st, the very last day, as well as workshop a new experimental parody, um, which has now been completed called A Turkey is Not a Rooster, which is a parody responding to anti-Asian sentiment. So I, in real life, it's a parody of my real life. I'm the rooster and I was replaced by my Chinese understudy. So it's kind of like, instead of saying this Asian's this Asian, it's not a soap opera where you can replace a blonde with a blonde, a brunette with a brunette, you know, have a lookalike or a stand-in or whatever. You know, it's real people, but a lot of people do confuse. And what I realized is, wow, a lot of people don't realize that I'm not Chinese. <laughs> right. or, or, hey, I'm an immigrant. I'm a naturalized U.S. citizen. But that timing was perfect for me. And I can say I was very proud of that showing. I had a lot of fun with my reading. I had great feedback. But that led me to really improve upon both of those works. Can you talk a little bit more about how you choose the stories that you want to tell? And I'm actually interested, if you'd like to share, in how that has evolved over time for you as an adult. I'm going to interpret this as what kind of stories do you like to tell and what made you a storyteller? So all, all of my recent stories are an extension of my real life. And it's the way that I view things and I've always viewed things as an artist as an interdisciplinary artist. I've always been gifted in arts and entertainment. I used to work full-time in arts and entertainment before business school, before I worked in a corporate role. I was trained in in classical music, um, but I knew, I always had an inkling that I was gifted beyond. I had written a paper in my freshman year of undergrad. And then for fun, I can't remember what made me do this. I had shared it with the theater department and they had asked me if I wanted to utilize part of their semester to perform it as a play, and I declined. And so for like a decade, I was like, why didn't I do that? And this was back in like the, I don't want to say floppy disks, but you know, uh, the laptops were heavier. Yeah. And um, I have no email because I remember at one point, I want to say during the pandemic, I asked people from undergrad who contributed and helped me collaborate because, again, it was about Asian American stereotypes. I asked them if they had a copy, but back then we didn't have, like, if it wasn't in their email, I didn't have a copy either. And I'm hoping I still have a hard copy somewhere in my storage, but we're talking, you know. And so I had always regretted missing out on, on that opportunity. And so much later in life, I do have a different kind of capacity 
thanks largely due to quarantine. <laughs> mm. And also the courage to fail and to retry. I can say Chinese girl wants vote. I stopped counting the versions. Maybe the final version's like number 20. <laughs> yeah. And uh, A Turkey's Not a Rooster, the experimental parody, finally had a showing, a, what I call a proper showing. There had been little bits and pieces kind of here and there through the Asheville Fringe Festival, uh, which is still available um, on demand in the month, you know, through mid-February of, of 2021. So that was really exciting. But I can say you have to have a thick skin because my, my experimental piece has been rejected. I want to say like a hundred times. Mm-hmm. And the Chinese girl once vote, every time I was discouraged, it just pushed me to make a better, more inspirational version. And that was not how it was originally intended. It was feedback that I had gotten from my collaborators and friends and family who were close to me. And that really changed how it was ultimately presented. Say a little bit more about that. That's interesting. So they were encouraging you to make a more inspirational version. What Was the first version much more biographical? Yeah. So this this is kind of a strange tale. So part of it's like John Cage, like, oh, I want to say it kind of happened organically with really <laughs> cool artists. But what what happened originally is I had the script and I asked people, I said, hey, can you read part of this script for free, put it on video, and then let me piece it together and see what it looks like and see if it's really something. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. going to be doing a play in person. I like barely know how to use iMovie. At this point, I'm not going to lie. I didn't even know how to post a video on Instagram. Someone asked me, I said, I don't know how to do that. And I just refused to do it because I'm extremely selfish with my time. I do know how to do these things now much, much better thanks to YouTube. It's I can use it as a platform for sharing. But one of my friends, actually my best friend from business school is Chinese American. And I had asked her, I said, you know, can you read either part of their narration or here's the script, here's my idea. And so her feedback was, no. <laughs> I said, mm. And then she said, the example I will never forget. She said, because I'm Korean American and she knows the difference. She said, Gina, you know, it's like Morgan Freeman. I don't mind if he narrates the story of my people, but he cannot be the face of my people. And he, I mean, first of all, it's a different gender, right? Like a black man. Can a black man represent a Chinese suffragist? He can narrate it. and That would be beautiful. And I totally never forgot that after that. So then I was like, it made me think, I was like, I don't have enough Asians in a short documentary about uh, Mabel Lee. Because originally I was just like, I just want diverse voices to show the universality of her work. Like literally, that's how I was thinking. I was extremely naive. And I just thought, you know, I've been living my life and people totally can pick it up until I actually just, you know, I started quite small. I just asked for feedback and also for participation. And I saw what it looked like and I heard what it looked like. And so I had, I knew I had to change the narration for sure. Cause at the beginning I didn't even have like narration. I didn't have like a beginning and a middle and end. I was just like the universality of her words with diverse faces. And plus no one's ever heard of Mabel Lee anyway. So there needs to be a little bit of story so that people are like, what is this random piece about promoting women's suffrage movement generically, Mm -hmm. Um, but to really make it memorable and truly highlight an inspirational Asian American figure. So what I did immediately was I knew I had to get more. I know it sounds so obvious. 
I needed to get more Asian American participation. I needed to get specifically more Chinese participation. And I was like, maybe I should have some kids in this too. So, you know, not just have it just, you know, be some of my actor friends read for me for free. So I did, I reached out, I have a a Chinese American professor friend. So I reached out to her. I had a long conversation and she was like, why are you asking me these questions? I'm like, I don't know. Like, why would I ever ask you? You know, just questions like, would you go up to someone and be like, what percentage American are you? Were you born Mm -hmm. here? When you look at someone who appears Caucasian, that is not usually what is asked. And as an Asian American, I don't go up to another Asian American and, and ask, oh, like, where are you from? Oh, were you born here? And if you were born here, when did you move? <laughs> are you a naturalized? Right. You know, and so I was like, very, it was very strange for me to ask. And, you know, people were obviously open. And so ultimately, in my final version of the film, there are more Asian faces than I had originally intended. And I did slant it more positive because originally I did have in my script some of the criticism. Like, you know, I, I remember some of the lines like, oh, she sounds interesting. But I really don't identify with her. So that got cut out. So that mm. really was just, you know, in five minutes so that people can remember what it's about. Basically, it's about an Asian American suffragist, Mabel Lee. And if that's all that people remember, that's fine by me because at least they know she exists. And it's as simple as that because everything else is kind of noise because that was ultimately the purpose so that people knew that Asian Americans have been part of the fabric of American history from the beginning. Right, right. I'd like to transition to the work that you are making right now, which is another short film titled I Am America. I think I'd like to start with linking that piece to Chinese Girl Wants Vote to get an understanding of how you got from the your first documentary film to this next piece and how your process changed or how you decided to tell the, your next story. So very similar process. I'm going to be very transparent. Again, it was not an original idea. The prompt was out there. And the prompt was part of a film festival that I had participated in last year, the Huntington Beach Cultural Cinema Showcase, based in California, had put on out on Film Freeway a call for short films or different kinds of films as part of Black History Month. And so the theme of Black History Month in 2021 is the Black family representation, identity, and diversity. In terms of the process, it was very much the same. I reached out to people in my network, other actors. I never have open casting calls, just people I was comfortable with. I had asked Mm -hmm. for music from someone, you know, in my opinion, it has to be original so that I don't have to worry about licensing and so that it really represents people authentically. And that was important to me because last year, to be part of a collaboration and then to be cut out, we want to make sure it's copyrighted, those kinds of things. Like I didn't want to have to worry about that. I just wanted to do something, put it out there, and people know that it was unique. And so when I had reached out, I actually have no more Black people in the South than I know Asians. And so I just reached out. I asked them, I said, just to, you know, I put the prompt out there. I said, can you give me a couple minutes answering, like, what does family mean to you? And then I said, I just want to let you know. Uh, Black History Month theme in 2021 is representation, identity, diversity. I gave a spiel for an audition about this. I emailed a few people out and I just saw what came back. And that's what I call my John Cage style. I put the ask out there, see what comes back. And there are things that any novice filmmaker, you know, I still, I still have 
things that I need to work through. Like, oh, did I remind people to film horizontally and not do a close up? Those kinds of things. You know, it sounds so, so basic. But in quarantine, you know, I'm not going to be like driving around with equipment or having a cinematographer or things like that. So really, it's to me, it's it's not an enhanced podcast. It's it's really people choosing how they want to be heard and seen based on an open prompt. Mm. And so the reason how I am America came to be is I, you know, I just workshop it at different venues that um, I had participated before just as I call it short video poems, like a 30 second clip here, a minute here. And I got feedback. And so out of the footage from my original film, Celebrate Family, I had pulled out this component of I'm America and I'd posted because for me, I participated in it in it as well, saying, you know, I am Korean American. People may not know I'm actually Korean American and not Chinese. And then I'm also a naturalized US citizen. That's just part of what I put out there as part of today's social climate um, and also being able to participate. So what I decided is to actually, I know that what I have out there is still a worthwhile story. Is it perfectly crafted? No. Is it ever going to be perfect? No, but can I make it more appealing? Can I make it more unique? Can I make it something like it's it's kind of it's more than half baked. I don't know if three quarters baked is the word. It's like three quarters baked. So I got more footage and I decided let me just broaden it so that it's more authentic to what I really think versus trying to fit it into someone else's prompt or someone else's mold. Because in the end, even if the prompt came from somewhere it's still my original idea that I see through fruition, if that makes sense. That's how I view it. But in both cases, I was prompted. I did not magically come wake up one day with the idea. First of all, I love this three-quarter baked idea. I feel like that's my t-shirt that I need to wear because <laughs> most everything I do, <laughs> I'm, I'm aiming in that direction and, and I feel pretty good about it. You know, it's interesting thinking about working from prompts because I have generated a lot of projects giving other writers prompts and then seeing what they come back with. And I'm always delighted by the variety of story and perspective, point of view, style. It's just incredible, the abundance of ideas and the diversity of creating work. I feel like as an artist, I'm curious to hear what you think about this. The, the world is a prompt to me. Like everything is inspiration. Everything is a launching pad for making my own work in my own way. And something that is, to me, really amazing about you is that you take the prompt, but then you do your own thing with it. Like you actually make a thing. You aren't just inspired, but you take it the, to the next level, including learning all the new skills required and all the experimentation and all the redrafting and all of the feedback seeking. And that is, that's really to be, to be lauded. That is a super compliment. I think the differentiation is that the older I get and the more successful in quotes I get, the less afraid I, I am to fail and Google and use Wikipedia and like check out random things on Instagram. Cause no, I'm not yet on TikTok. You know, you can curate your life or let it pass by or absorb things. But I always knew that I absorbed information a little bit differently. And I really struggle. I struggled and I still struggle to articulate my perspective. But I have gotten better out of, 
I don't want to say necessity, but out of a desire to share my perspective more broadly, whether it is in my small way, being an artist activist, participating in social justice, encouraging people to vote, encouraging people to be less racist towards Asians, etc., like those things. So there is sometimes that agenda underlying it. But I can't say, I mean, you know, when you look at kids, like do little things at a time. I, I mean, I just learned how to post a video on Instagram. It took me forever the first time because I didn't, you know, I didn't want to download something else like, you know, the aspect ratio or whatever. I was like, what? It's going to cut off my video. And then, then you have all those filters. And so I can say like each time I do something, it can only get better from there. Really, really basic things. So probably an earlier version. Like right now, I'm at. I don't even think my font matches in the version of Chinese Girl Wants Vote that got cataloged as part of Digital Public Library of America. Um, you know those kinds of things that are really obvious to seasoned, experienced people really making commercials. I've always participated in some some sort of way. But to your point, to be a filmmaker and to oversee that entire process from the script writing to directing to cutting and editing casting all of those elements i just take it one at a time and also if i know it could be better or if i get rejected and when i say rejected you know i did put it out there the other thing i want to say is i don't think enough people try things for free it doesn't have to cost money especially if you youtube something no one's gonna know that you youtube something totally like i don't want to say stupid but like right now i was like i had all these facts at the time around i was presenting on this but there's a lot going on and I'm not a historian. I can't remember every timeline. I can't remember all the different elements of history. It just depends. If you really focus at the task at hand, whether it's because now I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure my font doesn't match. But in the end, it didn't matter because the reason why I have been successful with at least Chinese Girl Once Vote is the content. It really just started with a couple sheets of paper Mm -hmm. and that was strong enough. I can say for my new films, the concept is, is less unique. And so everything needs to be better. Hmm. And, you know, it has to be more unique. And I can say that. And I know that for a fact, because the topic is pretty broad. So there's a lot. It's, it's kind of like people breaking into arts and entertainment, right? Like people would work for free or whatever. So why would someone just take the time this year to watch my perspective on America versus last year? The timing was good, right? For many reasons, right. all the reasons you stated political climate, anti-Asian sentiment, like all the buzzwords that are not the good ones, except maybe like the women's right to vote when people are realizing, oh, it's actually a different timeline to vote depending on skin color, depending on your class, perhaps, et cetera. All of those things that you don't really think they're associated. So the timing is right for that, which forgave a lot of maybe the more technical inadequacies of that particular film in and of itself. So it was strong enough to be cataloged as uh, as part of Digital Public Library of America, which is unexpectedly the ultimate goal because some I tried to publish it as a book and I didn't know how to do that. And then I thought it might be expensive and I didn't want to put out part of my French a crappy version out there. <laughs> so <laughs> so what do you what did I do? I emailed the library. And no, they did not get back to me right away. So you have to actually follow up. <laughs> No, I had never heard of the digital public library. That is incredible that you came across that and then you pursued it. I was like, wow, this is amazing. What a cool resource that exists in the world I've never heard of. I tried for, I don't know how many months to make an ebook version or some sort of kids book version of Chinese Girl Wants Vote. And so I called someone who I knew 
And she was very upfront. I was like, how much did you spend on the, you know, the book that you did? And, you know, I found out all these things, like she had not just collaborators, but, you know, like real professional people to help her, not just me YouTubing each and every step. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was like, wow, that is really expensive, especially since my budget is, well, I can say it's no longer nothing. I'm very proud to be a recipient of uh, the Charlotte is Creative Hug Grant, but it's only $250. And that just wants, you know, that's already been absorbed by collaborators from my first, from Chinese Girl Wants Vote. And so through that, I just thought, well, what's the most logical next step is, well, the library's free. You can ask any sort of question. And it became more and more obvious to me because as people watched Chinese Girl Once Vote, whether it was a local historian, whether it was part of a museum, whether it ex- exhibited at a film festival, I'm based in Charlotte. So the Charlotte Mecklenburg Library System had a series called Engage 2020. And so they had said, oh, maybe we'll try to incorporate your film into one of the talks about the history of women voting. Because, you know, the League of Women Voters, they were doing a whole bunch of events, etc. And they never followed up. And so that felt to me, I feel strongly about this. I felt like, not that it was a bait and switch. I'm going to take this one personally because I don't want to generalize. But if you're going to ask someone who is, I'm going to call myself a person of color and then not follow through, that is a waste of my time. And that would be a waste of anyone's time. And then it also made me mad because I thought, well, now I'm worried that there's an absence of the Asian American perspective in that particular you know, either whether it was a panel, et cetera. And so I just, I just followed up with that critical question I just said. And then, and then I realized, okay, well, maybe I have to do something separate. So I ended up doing something separate, but very similar to the prompts, not my original idea. Right. Someone else had suggested it. And the difference is I followed through and I have a thick skin. Like, what's the worst? It doesn't happen. Well, it didn't happen in the first place, right? So I lost nothing. <laughs> so... Going into a project, knowing that you may or may not be, and I'm air quoting this, accepted or air quote, successful or whatever adjective people put in those air quotes, knowing that that is a possibility because we've all experienced that before about a billion times by this particular point in life. Why do you still make things? And what does that confidence and thick skin come from? So Re said, what inspires me to keep going on after being rejected? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to say it straight. If I stop to think about reality in any of the realms I play in, whether it's nonprofit, for-profit, in the area of original music, filmmaking, food photography, acting, I don't think about the odds. You just can't. Because In reality, I I really, truly don't think I'm a Korean American, born in Masan, Korea, female, based in Charlotte, North Carolina, whatever the facts are, where I'm from, like, does that really matter? I don't think about my age. And I'm trying now even not to think about my experience. My experience gives me a humongous advantage. I've been educated in the United States. I've worked at prestigious institutions. But the difference is, well, what do you do with it? So the way that I view it is, I just take those experiences. And today, I think about it a little bit differently. I think of it as, instead of like virtual file folders, I'm like, I have all these experiences inside of me. Hmm. Can I use them for something? 
Or if you, instead of just like watching a YouTube video, you can just catalog it. Like maybe that's a tool. And I don't, you know, I don't catalog anything. I mean, I'm just, I just use Google and some of it, I, I do leave a large part to chance as well if it comes my way because of lack of time. And so it's a combination of those things. But most importantly, like not to fear failure. Once you realize, I mean, there are real problems in the world. Like no one's going to shoot me for this bad idea. Mm. Hopefully they won't ridicule me. And if they do, so what? Maybe, you know, after you get one good idea out of 10, out of 100 or 1,000, think about if I came from classical music, what are my odds of making money as a classical music? Probably like less than 1%, especially now it's almost 0% because of, you know, just the way that the world works. But how is it that I have beaten those odds? Because you adapt to the environment that you are in. You know, it's a virtual environment. So I had to learn how to post an Instagram video. You You know, I have like these simple examples because... They are not profound examples, but if you don't adapt, I'm still the same person with the same experiences. The difference is I'm just able to articulate them, maybe in a different way, mold them, and then just make something out of it. And I do it's an iterative process. But in a lot of these different areas, if you stop to think about, well, I'm one in a million, or you know, like things that you can't change. Like, I don't like that you're female or that you're Asian. I don't even think about that. I just think Mm -hmm. most of the time, especially now, um, I just think, does the quality of the idea and the standard, regardless of subject, is it good enough to either stand on its own or am I tickled with the idea? I'd really love it anyway. Just want to put it out there, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because before business school, I can share like, I, you know, I worked at the Museum of Modern Art, just in administration, not as an artist uh, for five years. I worked at the Public Theater in New York. So I was always surrounded by creatives. And I used to think, wow, these people are geniuses. I never thought I could be one of those. You know, I just thought, well, but I'm glad that experience wasn't wasted. So everything that you do, I mean, one of the ideas that I had gotten for or Turkey's Not a Rooster, the experimental parody, because I had gotten feedback. They're like, you need to heighten the drama. I got from watching HBO Watchmen, which was free during the weekend of June June 18th. So that's just what I say. Like, you could be crafty. You don't have to spend money, but it was Mm -hmm. offered for free for that weekend. And so I binged on it and I watched it. So I find inspiration. I think you had mentioned this. Inspiration can come from anywhere. It's just how you use it. It shouldn't be a privilege to think of the art in and of itself and just focusing on that. But it tends to be because people are, are so, including myself, you can, it's so easy to be hindered with reality. Like, okay, I'm hungry now. I need to eat my next meal. Like maybe that's a literal thing. So I remember today I need to eat breakfast, you know, at a certain time so that I wouldn't be distracted. You know, it sounds very right. simple but I do not think about the odds. And then if I do get rejected, I think I still have that confidence. I'm like, I think, I think something is good and I'm not willing to give up on it. Not enough or not yet. And so I don't win everything, but I tend to be more prolific because I put more out there, but I also don't send the same thing out over and over again. It has to be a better version in and of itself. The films and the art stuff that I do, that's like truly low budget, like used iPhone. I used a garbage can as a tripod, for example. Uh, I still do if I need a second tripod, those kinds of things. Like that's like real do-it-yourself. And I can share exactly what I do, how I do it with a lot of Googling. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I have basically one 
big question left about how all of the interdisciplinary artist and work experience and all that, how how it all kind of comes together in your work. Is there anything that you would like to touch on before we close? What I want to encourage people, whether you consider yourself an artist or not, I have dealt with the imposter syndrome. And so now I just embrace myself as a, air quotes, interdisciplinary artist, which is a catch-all. Sounds obvious, but the process is never perfect. It doesn't have to be linear. It doesn't matter what your background is or where you're from, how old you are. My process is nonlinear. I've had different ideas at different points in my life. And I do know I have a non-traditional background and I just embrace that. I can understand that it might confuse people to have that dichotomy between nonprofit or corporate experience, to be classically trained and be an office worker. But that is so many people. There could be waiters who are brilliant actors. So instead of thinking about those boxes, I would say just go for it. I love that. Thank you so much. It's amazing what a banquet there is for us as artists. I think to be able to pick and choose from all of the different specialties and experiences and skills. I'm going to torture this metaphor a little bit, but and 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 make a meal of it, right? And the meal is our creative lives and the offering that we can share with our audience and that those audience can include strangers, but also close friends and family. And I just love the way that you are approaching your work as a creative and the breadth that you have and the way in which you you reach for whatever sparks your curiosity. So thank you so much for speaking with me today. And I can't wait to see what you do next and hear what you do next. Thanks, Tamara, for having me. And yes, I'm excited to continue my artistic journey wherever it may lead me. Here are some of Mabel's words from her writings, China Submerged Half, and the meaning of women's suffrage. I plead for a wider sphere of usefulness for the long submerged women of China. I ask for our girls the open door to the treasury of knowledge, the same opportunities for physical development as boys, and the same rights of participation in all human activities of which they are individually capable. The neglect and indifference to women's welfare in the past must be remedied, prejudice must be removed, and healthy public sentiment created to support the progressive movement. To us girls especially, who are among the first to emerge, will fall the duties of pioneers, and if we do our share, ours will be the honor and the glory. For no nation can ever make real and lasting progress in civilization unless its women are following close to its men, if not actually abreast with them. It is a fact that no matter where we go, we cannot escape hearing about women's suffrage. The idea of women's suffrage at first stood for something abnormal, strange, and extraordinary, and so has finally become the word for anything ridiculous. The idea that women should ever wish to have or be anything more than their primitive mothers appears at first thought to be indeed tragic enough to be comic. 
But if we sit down and really think it over, throwing aside all sentimentalism, we find that it is nothing more than a wider application of ideas of justice and equality. We all believe in the idea of democracy. Women's suffrage is the application of democracy to women. The fundamental principle of democracy is equality of opportunity. I cannot too strongly impress the importance of suffrage, for the requirement of women to be worthy citizens and contribute their share to the steady progress of our country towards prosperity and national greatness. After graduating from Barnard College, Mabel Lee got a PhD in economics at Columbia University. She was the first Chinese woman to do so. After her father died in 1924, she took over his role as director of the First Chinese Baptist Church of New York City. She later founded a Chinese community center offering vocational and English classes, a health clinic, and a kindergarten. Dr. Mabel Pinghuali never married, and devoted her life to the Chinese American community in the United States. Do you know what's happening with Artist Soapbox? Have your ears missed our original scripted audio fiction? Well, come on and listen to the Declaration of Love anthology, the New Colossus, and the Master Builder. Get up to dates on Patreon.com/artistsoapbox and become a patron of the podcast. Please see the links in the show notes and at artistsoapbox.org. You can always reach out to artistsoapbox at gmail.com. Stay in touch. Thanks, friends.